Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Hallelujah. Let's just pray. Father, Lord, I just thank you for your goodness. Lord, I just think of uh, Shaul in one of his letters. He said, I am nothing. Lord, I know I'm nothing and you're everything. But Lord, you created the universe out of nothing, so there's hope for me and hope for each one of us, Lord. Lord, it's amazing and never ceases to amaze me that you have chosen to speak your words through your servants, through your people. It's something I'll never understand, but I'm forever grateful. So Father, as I speak and share about what you've done in the Ukraine, what you're doing amongst the Orthodox, in New York and around the world, what you're doing amongst the Jews in South Africa. Lord, the the many wonders that you are doing amongst the people of Israel in these last days. Father God, we give all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise to you alone and to your son, Messiah Yeshua. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, uh, before I get into the word, I'll just quickly... um, go through at least uh, four of the books. I believe I've got all six there, but for the sake of time. Um, in, a, in a way, the most important one here, at least for reaching Jewish people, is My Jerusalem Encounter. Um, this is my testimony. And uh, by the grace of God, both in Israel, it's actually in Hebrew and Israel, it's in a second three-year print there. So it's, uh, it's doing well and... Uh, and then uh, also in, in New York, South Africa, uh, all around the world, God is using this amongst Jewish people, both secular and orthodox. And um, so anyway, I, I, I did bring a box specifically with me for this. Uh, $16 is the normal price, but if you get five or more, they're $10 each. And wh- why I'm doing that specifically with this book is so that you can give it to Jewish people after you've read it. And uh, my, my father's best friend, I'll never forget it, I saw him about six months before he passed away. Um, and, uh, and he read this and he's in heaven now because of that. Um, after this released, uh, I forget how many years ago it was now, around seven years ago, something like that, or eight years ago, um, a Jewish teacher in the Dallas school system read it and she gave her heart to the Lord a few weeks after that. And so all around the world, God is using this as a tool. Um, because I wrote it in such a way that uh, I wrote it exactly as I thought as a Jew. So there's no, you know, religious cliches, you know, you know all that stuff that's just, I didn't write it for my past, I wrote it for unsaved Jewish people. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So, uh, so anyway, uh, that's my Jerusalem encounter. Um, suddenly is uh, suddenly a biblical survival manual for the last days. It's not about how to grow vegetables, although I'm sure many of you can do that, or... To, to store beans in your warehouse or whatever, you know. But it's more like spiritually how to be ready for the coming of the Lord. So, you know, even, even Yeshua, when he spoke about eschatology and events that were gonna happen, it was always to prepare us spiritually. Like 100% of the time, that was always the goal. And so really that's the goal of this book. And it, me and my wife have both been very surprised because we thought, well, this is mostly for, for you know, for, for believers but we've been really shocked and amazed, in a good way, how many Jewish people are very, very interested in this subject. Um, so uh, anyway, so that's that book. And then um, The Voice of the Prophets, um, essentially what the Lord gave me, what he put on my heart, is what would the prophets say to us in the Kehillah today? What, what would the prophets be saying if they were here, the prophets of Israel? What would they say to the Western world? What would they say to America? What would they be saying to us as, our, as congregations today? And we actually know what they would say because there's so many similarities between the condition of Israel and the condition right now of the, of the church at large, uh, including the Messianic movement and what's happening in America. And so um, I, I speak about those principles in this book, Voice of the Prophets. And then uh, Treasure in Heaven is actually just releasing right now. Um, and uh, this is my, my sixth book. And uh, you can see there's a photo of Yerushalayim and then the new Jerusalem coming in the hands of Yeshua out of heaven. And, you know, if you listen to maybe 
I don't know what percentage, but a very high percentage of preaching today, the focus is very much on this earth. But if you really go into the Gospels, you look at the teachings of Yeshua and, and the early apostles, you'll find that most of their focus was on eternity. And there's a saying that's a huge lie. You've probably heard the saying before, which says you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That's a big lie from Satan. Because the truth is, if you're truly heavenly minded, you'll be the most earthly good. Do you know, you might or might not know this, but in Israel, in the military now, they love the Messianic believers because they make the best soldiers. You understand why? Because they're heavenly minded. And they're not afraid of death because they know that, that their lives are on the hands of God. So many of them are intelligence in the Air Force, in, in the Navy, in special forces all over, and they make some of the best soldiers in Israel. Why? Because they're heavenly minded. And so that's really to bring us uh, as believers, whether we're Messianic Jews, whether we're in the church, whatever, um, to bring us back to that focus. And um, uh, two of my books are already in Russian. The third one's almost completed uh, in Russian, Treasure in Heaven. And we're planning on giving these by the Lord's grace uh, to the Ukrainian soldiers on the war front uh, in the east of the country, to giving, giving them to them for free in Russian. And, and amongst them are, are, Jewish, are, are Jews as well. So, um, because everywhere in the Ukraine is Jewish people as well. So be praying for those and, uh, and get those books as you would like. And our three of the books are on uh, audio as well. Um, they are available on Amazon, but some people like to have a CD. So we have the CDs as well. They're about six hours, I believe, six CDs. And those are available. The books are $16, except this, as I said, if you get five or more, they're $10 each, Jerusalem Encounter. And the audio is $40. So we'll, I'll be at the table, me and my wife, after this. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you before I get into the Word. And then find a way, find a way to distribute these so they don't fall off. The very thin perspex uh, thing here. So, uh, so anyway, I just want to bring you up to date. Uh, uh, first of all, just to thank... Uh, Rabbi Schiller, just for his, always, he's so gracious. You really are such an example of humility. And I, if, I, if I say that, I mean it, because if I don't see humility, I just am quiet. Because <laughs> you're not going to say that someone's not, you know what I mean? But, uh, but really, I mean, I really mean that. It's just, me and my wife are just always overwhelmed with, your, with how you receive us with such grace. And uh, really, uh, you guys are really blessed, really blessed to have... Uh, to have uh, Rabbi David as your shepherd. So uh, I know you know that, but uh, you know, it's good to, 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 a good reminder. You know, it's really interesting. Um, one of the congregations we work with in the Ukraine um, is, is KEMEL. You, you, some of you might know the acronym, Kiev Messianic Congregation. Rabbi Boris, uh, we're very close friends and we minister there a lot uh, with him. And, had the privilege uh, of ministering there many times when we were in the Ukraine for five months this year. And, uh, and I like to tell people this because I think in some ways in the American church and the American kehilot, we're lagging behind a little bit when it comes to prayer, you know. So every Tuesday night, and I don't know how many people, maybe about 30 people approximately. I mean, it's not a few, but around 30 people, more. My wife said more, but 30 or 40 people they come every Tuesday night to the, to the main auditorium and all they do is pray for their rabbi for like three hours every single Tuesday. And I'm not talking about nominal prayers. Like you go in there, I mean, you just want to fall on your face and worship God, you know? And to me, uh, to, they, to me, that's just such an example. So I'm not saying necessarily come in every Tuesday for three to four hours or two to three hours, although that'd be great. But, uh, but certainly... We need to lift up our leaders to the Lord. You need to, you need to be praying for the rabbi and his family and for the elders and for the leadership because they need your prayers. Paul the apostle always said, pray for me. He was never ashamed to say that. And me and my wife say, pray for us as we travel, as we minister to God's chosen people, to our people in the Ukraine and, uh, and in New York. Just be praying for us that, uh, that God would, would open their hearts you know, Paul said, what did he say? All he said, he said, pray for me that, that I would proclaim the message boldly as I should. You know, and, and there's something about proclaiming the message boldly. So when we in the Ukraine, uh, it's interesting, I was, I was talking to, to Rabbi David a little bit about even uh, going into, into a certain area, north, about an hour north of New York, where we uh, are sharing with the ultra-Orthodox 
And, you know, we, sh we share with secular, we share with conservative, orthodox, whatever, but the Lord is really a particular area having us focus on the ultra-orthodox. He just put this burden on our heart. And there's an ultra-orthodox community of about 20,000, about an, an hour north of Manhattan. And um, it's interesting, when I speak to people about this community, I say they are about as unreached with the gospel as a tribe of headhunters in the Amazon that's never heard the gospel. And you know, it's really interesting how people are so, often so intimidated to bring the gospel to the Orthodox Jews, I mean the ultra-Orthodox. No, this is not Orthodox, this is ultra-Orthodox. Because they're so terrified, what are we gonna say, how are we gonna share with them? But they're just humans, you know. They have needs and they want to know who Messiah is. And so now is the time when there's such a, such a fascination, such a desire to know who Moshiach is, that it's an open door. It's an open door. And, uh, you know, what, what are they looking for? They're looking for the reality of God more than anything else. You're not gonna outdo them with Jewish traditions, trust me. They know 1,000 more Jewish traditions than any of us know. They're fluent in Yiddish, that's their first language. They're fluent in Hebrew, they're fluent in English. I mean, you're not gonna outdo them in Judaism and don't even try, and why should we anyway? That's not the goal. But when they meet somebody that truly knows their God, when they meet somebody that truly knows the God of Israel, I mean, I was expecting opposition because I've been in Israel where I've shared with Orthodox and to be honest, there's a few times I thought I was gonna be dead, like physically, <laughs> I'm serious, you know? And of course we pray, we, we fast, we seek the face of God. But the, the, the last two times we've gone, for once it was almost two weeks, another time about a week or so. And, and I can, my wife will confirm this, we haven't had one time when they've really fought us, I mean, even verbally. Because when you speak truth there's, with authority about who Messiah is, about what the scriptures really say, they have been, by and large, just listening. I've never experienced that before amongst the ultra-Orthodox. They're normally the ones fighting us. And I really believe why the Lord's taking us there at this time um, is because I believe that there are Paul the apostles amongst them. And when they get saved, when they truly, truly, truly give their hearts to Yeshua, I believe it's gonna turn this world upside down. Amen, we can give the Lord a hand because it's gonna happen. And, and of course we understand that the key is, 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 is prayer number one and to go in with wisdom. You know, you don't go in like a bull into a china shop, obviously, you know. Um, we, had, we had one instance, uh, well, we just got back from there about a week ago, but it was about, it was last year. And one of them was, was hitchhiking. He was a young guy, about 21 years old, approximately. And, uh, you know, he's sitting in the back of our car and I began to talk to him. And I, I normally start off telling them my name, Jeffrey Cohen, so they become completely relaxed. <laughs> Because you don't have to be a genius to figure out that Jeffrey Cohen is Jewish name, you know. And, uh, and I said to the one guy, I said to him, because I knew that they just recently, like at that time, tens of thousands of Orthodox had gone to the Western Wall and they were praying for Mashiach to come after the COVID began in the very beginning. And, uh, and of course, he was aware of that. And I said to him, wouldn't this be a great time for Mashiach to come? And he said, oh yeah, it'd be a great time. <laughs> so I said, wouldn't you like to know who Mashiach is? He said, of course, you know, like everybody wants to know that. I said, would you like me to tell you who he is? <laughs> and his eyes just went as big as saucers, you know. And, uh, and of course I began, you know, starting in the Psalms and the prophets and began to share with him. And uh, what touched him, it's the most simple thing that touched him. I really wouldn't have thought anything of it. Um, because the area is, you know, 99% Orthodox and they're all living together and that's in a very small radius. But he said, he said, you don't have to go all the way to my home. Just drop me at such and such a place and I can walk home. And I said, no, no, I'll take you right up to your home. And as simple as that was, that simple act of kindness, no big deal, right? It just touched him so much that I took him right to the front of his house. And I had a, a DVD with me of my testimony and I said, I'm only gonna give this to you if you're willing to watch it. You can watch it on your DVD player. And he said, no, no, I'll take it. And he took it and I gave him my email address, you know. And 
we are regularly having these kinds of encounters where we're either giving them a copy of my book or a DVD, and I'm sure they're very secretive and wise about where they, they watch it. Um, and another thing, again, just to encourage you, um, there was a, a brother who was the original founder of Beth Am Messiah. He's a Gentile, and of course, the, uh, Aharon is now the, the Messianic rabbi there, Aharon Mendes, of course, you guys know very well. But this, this Gentile, because I guess no Jew answered the call at that time, and so he was leading the congregation for the first, I don't know how long, but quite a few years, many years. And so he, he goes there, and, and he's one of the very few who goes and, and shares the word over there. And, and while he was preaching, one of the ultra-Orthodox just secretly went like this to him. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? And so I believe that amongst them, there are many who know that Yeshua is the Messiah. But they know it's gonna be a huge, huge price. And, and I understand that. I, I thought I would be completely cut off from my family because of my background when I received Yeshua. And my father just decided not to, you know. But, but they will pay a huge, huge price. And so... So pray for them and pray for those who already know that Yeshua is the Messiah, that, that at least one of them will break that ice and begin to proclaim and to declare that Yeshua is Messiah. Amen? So, so please be praying for that um, and be praying for us as we go there that, 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 that God would give us utterance and boldness. And uh, I, I just think I'll, I'll tell you this. How many came to the... Uh, Excuse me, how many came to the seminar that, that I did God's Blueprint for the Great Commission that are here? Okay, a few of you came. So we, we, we had a book, I, I believe we have some here today, uh, God's Blueprint for the Great Commission. That's been translated into Russian. And it's really helping believers to reach Jewish people with the gospel in a way that they can understand. It's not complicated, it's not difficult. Anybody can use that. Uh, if we don't have copies of the table, we do have some in my car, so we'll make sure those are available. Um, but that's been translated into Russian. And, and what it does, uh, God is really using that, that book, especially across the Ukraine and Russia itself, to begin to break the back of anti-Semitism in the church. And so really our, our focus in the Ukraine, we were there for five months last year. We'll be there probably another four months, God willing, this coming year. So it's a two-pronged, a two uh, strategy. The first is to penetrate the churches and break the back of anti-Semitism in the churches and replacement theology and all of that. And the second, already the second is really the first priority for us, but you all, you all understand I've been doing this for more than 30 years, um, is to reach Jewish people with the gospel and to not be ashamed. You know, it is, it is time, you know, my, my opening scripture is Romans chapter one and verse 16. And what does Paul the apostle say? He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Messiah. I am not ashamed. Everybody, I want you to say this loudly and boldly. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Messiah. For it is the power of God, say that, unto salvation for, for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So I want to ask you this question. Do you really, really believe that scripture? Because if you really believe it, there is nothing more worthwhile than to give our lives wholly and exclusively, number one, to the Lord, and number two, to the proclamation of this message. I think my second favorite scripture in this regard is Matthew 24. And uh, you can just turn to Matthew 24 and verse 14. It's really like a hallmark scripture of our ministry, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness, everybody say a witness, to all the nations, and then the end will come. Why do I emphasize the witness? Because it's not only the preaching, which of course is hearing, right? But it's a witness, that means that you see something, right? A, a witness, it's pretty obvious, right? Is someone who sees something, am I correct? So we're not only hearing a message, but we're also seeing something happen. And as I told you, our, our, our two focuses are reaching Jewish people and then reaching the churches to break down that wall of anti-Semitism, to break down those lies of replacement theology. And uh, I can only give God the glory because we have that strategy, but God's opened the doors. You can have all the strategy in the world. If God doesn't open the doors, you're helpless. Amen? So... Uh, 
there's a particular, we, as I said, we work a lot with, with Boris and the Messianic congregation, and then we work amongst Pentecostal churches, Charismatic, uh, Baptists, I mean, you name it, wherever, the, wherever God's people are. So um, I, I might have told the story before, so I'll be brief with this, but some of you wouldn't have heard. But around three years ago, or is it four years ago when we met at that memorial? Four years ago. My wife's very accurate, so I wanna. So it was about four years ago. And we, there, there, there's a particular town called Latichev, never mind about the name, but that's the name of the, of the town, that was more than 60% Jewish in the 1940s. At the end of the 1940s, like a handful of Jewish survivors. And the pastor, um, wanted to meet with any remaining Holocaust survivors and repent before them, repent before them for the church's silence, in some cases even participation. And just so he, he found two survivors that, that, that he could only find in that city or two who were willing to come. He repents in front of them. Um, and God had told me I was gonna be speaking in, like, at the site, even though the pastor didn't know me. My wife was tearing up, I was tearing up, these two survivors were tearing up. And essentially, the pastor repented and I said, you know, and the pastor received this in the right spirit. I said, you know, that repentance is great, but it's not enough. What the church really needs to repent of is misrepresenting the Jewish Messiah to the Jewish people. And I told this to the Holocaust survivors because really it was for their benefit. Everybody else was already saved, so it didn't really matter. If their feelings got hurt, they'd get over it, you know. But I cared about those two lost souls. And And I said to them, Look, I'm in a similar boat to you in the sense that I had family in Lithuania just about 400 kilometers away and they don't exist anymore, so I'll never know them. And I said, but, but there's one difference between me and you. I believe Yeshua is the Messiah. And I said to them, do you have any idea that those people who were shooting Jewish people supposedly in the name of, you understand, maybe, maybe not officially, but in the Jewish mind, in the name of Christianity, that those people were killing the brothers and the sisters of Jesus. Because what did Yeshua say? Whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren. Who are his brethren? Jewish people. I said, can you imagine those anti-Semitic people when they stand before Yeshua and realize that those were his brothers and sisters that they had murdered? Can you imagine the horror? I wouldn't like to be in their shoes. I mean, unless they repented. I don't think many repented. If they repented, that's another story. And then I said to them, there is nothing that would bring more joy to the heart of the God of Israel if in this place where death and destruction has come to our people that you'd make your peace with your God, with the God of Israel, because he is the Jewish God. He's the Jewish Messiah. And I said to them, are you willing to pray to receive Yeshua? And they both prayed. They both prayed. And the, 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 I can't even tell you how, I mean, I could hardly speak. My wife could hardly speak. We were so filled with joy. But that wasn't the end because then there was the, the battle of getting them established, right? So fast forward to this uh, situation. Um, about a year ago, we were in the Ukraine and I was preaching in a park during Thanksgiving. In this park, um, there were obviously many unbelievers and the pastor gave me 15 minutes to, to preach. And normally they give a nice little sermon, you know, because the mayor's there, politicians are there, and so it's like a nice you know, like a, like a sweet little time, you know what I'm saying, but no real preaching, you understand what I'm saying. So I said, I'm not gonna do a sweet little ditty, you know what I mean, that's not my thing, that you can do that, you know. I said, if I can preach the gospel, I'll preach. And so the Lord gave me a really strong confrontational word, uh, really presenting the gospel clearly, and about 12 people came forward to receive the Lord, to receive Yeshua. One of them was the husband of this lady who came to this little Pentecostal church who absolutely loves Israel, his wife, and the Jewish people like, I mean, literally, if any Jewish person sees her, they'd want to know God. (laughs) They'd want to know Yeshua. She's so full of the Holy Spirit. But she had to have, um, she got cancer in her brain, had to have brain surgery. And had brain surgery, so we came back, and I just remembered her as so full of life, so full of the love of God, so full of the power of God on fire evangelist as well. And we came back and she was basically like a vegetable. And you know how heartbreaking that is. I mean, I can't even tell you. Some people are good at handling that kind of thing. I'll just admit I'm not very good at that. It's just kind of, you know, I'm I'm a bit squeamish. Um, And uh, so after I was teaching for two hours on a Wednesday, Thursday night, 
the pastor said, well, you go and pray for her. He said to me and my wife. To be honest, she had a lot more faith than I did and that the Holy Spirit showed her to bind the spirit of death, which is interesting because you would have thought to pray another way, right, if after brain surgery. But she really felt, and I felt a witness too, to bind the spirit of death over her, so we did that. Um, all I can tell you is when I saw her, because I didn't want to look at her, her eyes were darting from side to side. She didn't recognize anybody like nobody was home. She literally looked like a skeleton, like an absolute skeleton, just, a, just like a rag doll. And uh, long story short, her son calls on the Sunday on my wife's phone. He said, you wouldn't believe my mother wouldn't stop eating for three days and she's back. And give the Lord praise for that. She's back. I mean, she's more filled with the Holy Spirit if possible than she was before. Preaching the gospel if possible, even more than before. But why, I'm telling you very specifically why I'm sharing this. This is how much the devil does not want Jewish people saved. So remember those two ladies I told you about who gave their hearts or who prayed the prayer? And then, you know, me and my wife, we'd have these, these uh, discussions with each other. <laughs> I said, I believe that they saved. She said, well, I'm, I'm not sure if the one lady really understood what she was doing, but she did it anyway. And we'd say, are they really saved or not? You know, because they didn't want to, the only place to go was the, that Pentecostal church. And the one lady was stopping others from going there and, you know, that kind of thing. But whenever we'd come, we'd meet them in their homes. They loved to see us. If I was teaching, they would come because they felt at home with me because I'm also Jewish. Um, but here's what I want to say. So this lady who, um, uh, you know, who got supernaturally healed, she is now discipling in their homes both of those Jewish ladies, those Holocaust survivors. And they really, 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 now there's no doubt, me and my wife never argue about it, they are really through for the Lord, like 100% through for the Lord, you know? And can you imagine the devil wanted to take that lady out because she's such a key, such a key in reaching the Jewish people in that region. Um, and so just, just practically, to, so you can pray for us, you know the kind of warfare. The reason that they wouldn't come is because into the, to most of the church services, as I said, there's no Messianic congregation there, but the church is about as messianic as this church. And I'm not exaggerating. If you went there, you wouldn't believe it's like, a, I don't know what to call it, like a messianic church. You know, it's Hebrew dancing, Hebrew songs, everything. Um, they keep the festivals, etc. cetera. Um, but they meet on a Sunday. But uh, so, so the kind of warfare is, is that the Chabad will not support them financially if they go to a church service. Then they lose their support. And for them, for them that's a big deal because that's their bread and butter. You understand what I'm saying? So it's very practical, very real warfare that goes on. So going into their homes and discipling them is the answer, right? Because then they're not coming to church, right? <laughs> the church is going to them. Are you following me? So, uh, and that's what we need to do. We need to, to really be willing to do whatever it takes, not only to see Jewish people pray the prayer, but to see them really come to know Yeshua. And here for me, for me, I mean, I, it's, I can't even tell you how precious this is. So the, the one... Uh, Holocaust survivor, you know, uh, we went to her house and we have the sweetest time with her. Um, she always gives me these alcohol-filled chocolates. I don't know if that's good or not, but, <laughs> but they never made me drunk, so I'm sure it's, uh, they got cognac or something in them. And uh, so anyway, she's just so sweet and she always gives me these same chocolates, you know. And uh, so we went there, I believe it was the last time we visited her, or maybe the time before, but I think it was the last time. And no one said anything to her, and this is how you know that the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, is really working in her heart. She comes into the living room with a big pile of books. And I look at them and I see Menachem Schneerson on the cover of one. Anybody not know who Menachem Schneerson is? So some, most of you know Menachem Schneerson is a false messiah from Brooklyn. <laughs> he's now uh, not alive anymore. And many believe in Israel that he's coming back one day. I don't know if they mean to Brooklyn or to Israel, or, but anyway. But I mean, he's a false messiah. Um, but many still believe to this day that he's the messiah. So one was with Menachem Schneerson's uh, face on the front. And then other, I didn't understand Russian, but my wife does, of course, she's fluent. And others were Jewish mysticism and Kabbalah, which you know is just witchcraft. And she just said to me, she said to us, are these books bad? I just thought that's so precious how the Holy Spirit because when you, if she didn't have the Holy Spirit, she would never do that. It was bothering her 
So what had happened, because, because Chabad knows that Jewish people are coming to know their God and their Messiah, which we're not ashamed of at all. Thank God we give God all the glory. Um, so they're going behind what was all the books and we took them to be burned. And you see what I'm saying? Do you see the pattern here? Because that's the fruit of genuine salvation. When there's genuine salvation, you can't have anything that's not from God. You can't have anything that's, that's cursed, you know what I mean? That the Holy Spirit won't bless. And so, so that, that's the kind of thing that's happening. So a lot of what we're doing is one-on-one. -on -one. And then of course, ministering um, at uh, uh, Kiev Messianic Congregation, where there's a, a very large Jewish population. And uh, over there, we've seen many people saved uh, in the services, you know, at the end of the services, during the services, training, training and teaching in Russian. Um, so what I wanna do with our last 15 minutes or so, I wanna share something that I really believe, although I'm speaking about the Ukraine, but I really believe that this, is, this principle is pertinent to the church worldwide, worldwide. Church, you understand what I mean. I'm talking about the body of Messiah worldwide, okay? Um, so, so during this time, uh, we, in five months, we traveled 7,200 miles. Uh, we were able to get a car that was sort of fixed up so it was reliable, etc. And seven, traveled about 7,200 miles around the country, speaking in churches, Messianic congregations with Jewish people, I mean, you name it. I mean, just God was opening up so many doors that some weekends we'd have more appointments than we could answer. And so we just had to pray, Lord, where should we go? So um, for those of you who don't know, I'll just very briefly tell you, in the east of the country, in the, in the Ukraine, uh, there's a city called Donetsk. I'm getting the pronunciation right, I think. It's called Donetsk. And it was a city of two and a half million people. And that's where the Russian rebels took over that city, and it had a pretty large Jewish population, many synagogues, I forget, I don't know if it was 10 or 12 synagogues, I don't know, but a pretty, pretty significant Jewish population, and uh, now it's completely controlled by the rebels, it's kind of like a separate uh, country, but it's under Russian control, um, and you can't even get there from the Ukraine, if you want to get there, you have to enter in through Russia, and that's the only way to go there, so it's a pretty severe situation, and it's almost like in, the, in World War I, you know when you used to have those trenches? It's like amazing, it's like that same situation. They're pretty much trenches, and you got the Ukrainian soldiers on this side and the rebels on the other side. So it's a very, very tense situation, um, and it could explode at any moment, but for the grace of God. So this one, oh, I've gotta tell you the story, there's so much to tell, but I think we can fit it in. So in the, the city that my wife is originally from, it's called Kamenets Podilsky. Can everyone say that? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Kamenets Podilsky. It uh, took me a few months to get it, so don't feel bad if you can't do it immediately. And, uh, you know, it's, at first I couldn't handle it at all. Like I told you, I'm pretty squeamish, right? But when I first arrived in the Ukraine, I just couldn't handle that wherever I went, there were sometimes unmasked graves of thousands of Jewish people like thousands, like 23,000 here, 7,000 here, 6,000 there. I mean, it's too much for the mind. How do you take it in? You know, sometimes it is even barely marked, or sometimes there's a kindergarten built over it. I mean, it's, you can't comprehend it. You're like, this is numbers. But each one is a little baby. Each one is a mother. Each one is, you understand that just these Jewish people who wouldn't harm a fly, you understand what I'm saying? Uh, and so there's all these sites all over the country. So, but my... My wife's city um, used to be more than 60% Jewish, and they actually, most people don't know this, but it's a historical fact, they pretty much made the, the downtown area into a concentration camp. And over a few years, they, they, wouldn't only, they didn't only kill all the Jews there, but they'd bring the Jews from Romania, from Hungary, from, from all those surrounding areas, they'd bring them in on trains, and they would shoot them in the quarries. So over 80,000 Jews in that town alone were murdered. Many of them don't, many of the sites aren't even, aren't even marked, the grave sites. So I know it's pretty heavy, but can't really escape it, right? Um, but I'm gonna tell you something redemptive that came out of it. So one of the last remaining synagogues, there's a, there's a bishop of a Pentecostal church, he made friends with a rabbi of one of the last synagogues in the city, 
This was a number of years ago. And the rabbi was passing away. I don't know if he had a heart attack, whatever. And this bishop, you know, born again guy, would go, actually it turns out the bishop's almost completely Jewish, but he didn't know it. He just found out. There's so many Jewish people that don't know they're Jewish in the Ukraine. So he uh, made good friends with this rabbi and he went and kept on sharing with him about Yeshua and eventually led him to the Lord before he died. So this rabbi was so touched, again, such a genuine salvation, he donated the synagogue to the Pentecostal church. (laughs) Now the most flourishing blessed church in the whole city is that church they meet uh, twice on a Sunday in the synagogue. And we always, because it's a really big synagogue, we sleep like on the top floor whenever we go there. And, uh, and they don't even call it the church. They say we got services in the synagogue. <laughs> and uh, so, but, but here's the amazing thing. Now the bishop is over the pastor and the pastor's over six churches. One of them is the synagogue. He has such a heart for the Jewish people. Such a love, he's working with the Jewish community to reach the Jewish community there. And um, they go and they, they clean up the, uh, the Jewish cemeteries, the sites that have just been, in many cases, almost desecrated or just neglected. And that's such a, a testimony to the, to the Jewish community that's there. There's only around 100 left in that city, but those 100 are very important to God. Can you say amen to that, you know? And so they, 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 for free, they just clean it up. They make everything look beautiful. And then about, um, well, not long ago, literally a few weeks ago, we got a call, is that what they discovered is that um, there's a wall where my wife used to sit as a, as a young girl, you know, in the park, and nobody knew. And during communism, I guess they ran out of cement or whatever they used to build the wall. And he just noticed, oh, that's really weird. It looks like, looks like a tombstone built into the wall. Long story short, what did they discover? They discovered that, they were, that the communists took the Jewish tombstones and used them instead of cement or instead of tile. They just used those Jewish tombstones just to fill up the wall. Can you imagine? So what's happened now, there's three Jewish people, uh, not, not believers, working with a Pentecostal pastor and another pastor and they working together to, to finance, to, to take all those tombstones, to put them back in the cemetery where they belong and to honor the memory of these people. And this is a witness to the Jewish community. In fact, I believe, uh, I believe Beth, I'm, as a Messianic congregation, is going to be giving some funds towards it. Why? Because an ultra-Orthodox Jew in New York is financing the project, which is fine. I mean, you know, that's nothing wrong with that. But what a, what a statement when they hear, no, these Messianic Jews from America, they are helping to finance this, to honor the memory of these people. And then guess what? It's easy to share the gospel after that. Do you see what I'm saying? This is the kind of thing, it's so practical, it's so, it's so beautiful but so practical, what the Lord's doing. So. Uh, this is what I'll close with, speaking about working amongst the churches. So we get an invitation to go preach in the East. Needless to say, the missionaries are not volunteering <laughs> to go to a place where you know, everything could start exploding in any moment. But we really felt a witness and a peace to go. We arrived there, we got on the train from Khmelnytsky in the center of the country uh, to go there. It was 23 hours on the train. And uh, to be honest, I think it's the only rest we had in five months. So I was grateful to be in this little, little uh, cabin that we had for, for 23 hours. And I arrived there and the pastor was a nice guy. And I, I said, I, look, I'm happy we're here, but to be honest, I don't know why we're here because I'm called to Jewish ministry and all the Jews have left. They've either gone in, you know, into the interior of the country or they've already gone to Israel. So I don't really know why I'm here, but I'm happy to be here. So it comes to the first service. And I thought, you know, usually like in places like the Ukraine, I'm the token Jew telling all the Gentiles to repent of Jewish blood that's been spilled. And if you don't do it right, and if it's not the Holy Spirit, they can get pretty ticked off. Are you following what I'm saying? Because it's one thing for a Gentile to say that, but for a Jewish person to say that, you know, it's like it can come across. I mean, that's why you've got to be so humble in the right spirit. It can come across 
oh, but it's because you were Jew and, and you're all telling us to repent, like coming here from America, you know, and you telling us to repent. So it, it could be disastrous potentially, right, if it's not the Lord. So uh, I was very cautious and I thought I'm just gonna come, I'm gonna love them, I'm gonna preach the gospel and just, you know, just preach the gospel, preach the word. So I'm preaching a nice message, I don't remember what it was, um, but I know I was preaching the gospel, that's what I do. And, uh, and all of a sudden, the pastor's, somebody brings the, the pastor's phone to me, or to my wife, and it was in Russian, so I mean, I couldn't read what the text was. But what the text said is this. The text said, tell them that they need to repent for the Jewish blood spilt in this region. And so I thought I didn't want to automatically do that unless it's really the Lord telling me to do it. So I just presumed that it was the pastor. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. So the Gentile pastor is telling me to tell his congregation to repent for the Jewish blood spilt in this region. So that really gave me boldness and I went for it, you know. It turns out it's not what the pastor was saying. <laughs> but somebody texted the, past, texted the pastor and told him to tell me that they said that I must do it. <laughs> you see God's ways, right? Amazing. So either way, regardless, I just began to preach with boldness and explain and I, I don't have time to go into all of the scriptures, um, but essentially, even when I've shared this, even in Texas and places to, you know, to a Gentile audience, they say, oh, that's not biblical because we're not responsible for the sins of previous generations, you know, um, and you know, every man will die for his own sins, etc. And so what I do, I build a very careful, methodical case, and I'll just go, uh, I can go to a few of them just for the sake of, for the sake of brevity, um, I've already got the book of Daniel marked here. So, so for example, we'd all, is there anybody that doesn't know that Daniel was one of the most righteous men that's ever lived? You all agree with that, right? He really was a righteous man. And look what he did. By the way, it's Daniel chapter nine and verse 20. Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin, his sin, I mean, I don't know what he did. I mean, maybe he prayed for 55 minutes at lunchtime instead of 60. <laughs> you know, I don't know what, what his sin was, but he was such a righteous man. But listen to this. While I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and, everybody say and, the sin of my people Israel. So he was so humble that he was confessing not only his sin, but he was taking upon himself as if he was guilty for the sin of his people. He identified with that. Are you, you, you're following me, right? You've heard of that, right? Identificational repentance. Then I went to this, and this especially saying this to Gentiles, I'm saying, look, as a Jew, look at the price that we paid. And I went to Matthew 23, where Yeshua is speaking to the, uh, to the leadership at that time, not to all the Jews, of course, but just to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so it's Matthew 23, um, starting in verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the day of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Do you see the commonality here? So the Christians there would say, oh, but we weren't responsible. But that's what, that's what, the, that's what they were saying, right? That they, they weren't responsible for the blood of the prophets. But what did Yeshua say? Did he just absolve them? No, this is what Yeshua said. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons. You see the responsibility? And that's Yeshua speaking. I think he's, he's a pretty good theologian, wouldn't you say? <laughs> that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. And we know the conclusion, unfortunately, because they didn't respond, is verse 38. See your house is left to you desolate. But I always include that everybody has the chance to repent. It's not a foregone conclusion at all that generation had the opportunity to repent of that blood that was spilt of the prophets before them because look what Yeshua said. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And then he said, see your house is left to you desolate. And we know what happened. The temple was destroyed. Israel went into exile. We know, this, we know the whole thing. So I said, do you think if God didn't spare my people, that he's gonna spare the Gentiles for what they did? Do you think he's gonna spare this generation? You can imagine, you could, you could have heard a pin drop, right? 
and we had friends that we have on our WhatsApp prayer list and one is a woman in South Africa who's very, very prophetic and she said as she was reading what was happening, what she felt, she said it's, it's, it's like as if you're like Jonah in Nineveh telling Nineveh to repent. I, I cannot tell you, it's no joke. I cannot tell you the weight, but I knew that was the truth. And every place we went, five places, once I gave this explanation, they all repented. They all repented. Now, I don't know, we'll know in heaven when we're with Yeshua, but I believe with all my heart, God either delayed the hand of judgment or hopefully it won't happen at all. But there was genuine, genuine repentance. And, and, and the proof is, the pastor said, now when you come back, I'm gonna get all the pastors in the region and you're gonna speak to them. You're gonna speak about replacement theology. You're gonna speak about the breaking of this curse. And, and we shipped, uh, I forget, 50 or 100 of, of uh, God's blueprint for the Great Commission to them. And so when we come back, it's gonna expand even more because now we're gonna be more effective because we're gonna be sharing with leaders. And God is breaking down walls between the Messianic movement and the churches. So here's what I wanna uh, kind of conclude with. So, I mean, my passion, because it's God's passion, and please don't ever misunderstand me, the gospel's never to the Jew only. And it's not favoritism, but the, God is to the, the gospel is to the Jew first. And I, I speak about it in detail in my, in my book, God's Blueprint for the Great Commission. It's not favoritism, it's God's plan. Essentially, it's summed up in one verse, Romans 11 verse 15. If their falling away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? When pastors and church leaders really understand that the salvation of the Jewish people is intrinsically interwoven and interconnected to worldwide revival in the church, then they'll want the salvation of Israel more than ever before. It doesn't say, and thank God, we want the Palestinians saved, we want the Chinese saved, we want the Japanese saved, Jesus doesn't want anyone to perish, but it doesn't say when the Japanese are saved, it's gonna be life from the dead for the world. And they should be saved, of course, we want them to be saved. It doesn't say when the Chinese are saved. It doesn't say when the Muslims are saved, it's gonna be life from the dead for the world. Do you understand, I'm talking about strategic here. So a lot of people don't understand why, why, why go to, into a city like that where there's no Jews, right, and talk about this because it's the key to revival for that nation. And without that repentance, the curse would not be broken. Amen. Without that repentance, the curse would not be broken. And the pastor, and he doesn't use this kind of language. He's not one of these hyper-spiritual people who's just throwing around spiritual language. And I'm, there's a reason I'm saying this. He said the first time that I preached it at that first service, he said, I felt something break in the spirit. He doesn't use that kind of language. And then he said, if I just felt it, I'd think maybe I'm going crazy. But he said, all my elders said they all felt the same thing. All of them, all the elders. And then if I didn't preach it in another church, because I don't wanna be the, the token Jew telling all the Gentiles to repent in every service. So if I didn't bring it up, he said, you haven't told them to repent. You need to come and explain to them why they need to repent. <laughs> and remember I told you when I first arrived there, I said, I don't know why I'm here because I'm called to Jewish ministry. I wanna see my people saved. You know, there's a lot of people preaching to the Gentiles. I wanna see my people say. So we're in the last service and the pastor had to take somebody to the hospital and this time I thought, well, I'm not even gonna avoid this subject. I'm just gonna jump straight in that the church needs to repent for Jewish blood spilt. And I just went for it, just jumped straight in to the deep end. And it was hard. <laughs> it was hard because he wasn't there backing us up and it was like a hammer against a rock, just the word of God just, and, and my wife has, is so good at you know, sensing people. And then she said, have you, ever, have you ever said Jewish jokes? Have you been anti-Semitic? Have you, have you mocked Jewish people? Just to, to try and show how this generational curse is, not to condemn them, but so that it could be broken. And she points to this one guy, what about you? And he says, well, of course I haven't, because I'm Jewish. <laughs> I thought all the Jews had left. <laughs> she said, I said, I said what? You, 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 I, I didn't even know what to say. <laughs> so you're Jewish? So he said, yeah. So I just presume that he's a believer, right? A Messianic believer. And I just called him up into the stage so we would be the, the two Jews, you know, leading the Gentiles in the prayer of repentance. And I didn't know he wasn't a believer. So he didn't really know what was going on, but he was happy to stand on the stage and have all the Gentiles repenting, you know. <laughs> so I didn't know until after the service when my wife told me. And so we realized he's not saved. And she said, okay, Jeff, it's your turn. 
So I clearly, clearly, from, starting from the prophets, shared with him why Yeshua is our promised Messiah. And I said, is there anything stopping you from praying to receive Yeshua? And he prayed to receive Yeshua. And every time the doors of the Kehillah, the congregation are open, he is there. He's seeking the face of God. He's growing in the Lord. His name's Anton, so be praying for him. So I hope you're seeing from this picture, it's very, very practical. You know, a lot of, a lot of pastors and church people, when I say the gospel's to the Jew first, they just think, oh, just that again, you know, kind of thing. They, they don't understand that this is the strategy to reach the church, not only the Jewish people. It's gonna be life from the dead for the church when the Jews come in. That, that one guy has gotten saved, bringing the message of repentance concerning Jewish blood has already brought, and is bringing revival to that region. And we pray that that repentance will remain and that it'll grow, that the impetus, that the, uh, what's the word, uh, that it'll build up, you know. So, so anyway, um, let's just close right now. And if there's anybody here, whether you're Jewish or Gentile, and you've not given your heart to Yeshua today, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to give your heart to him. Because he is the Mashiach. He is the true Messiah of Israel. And without him, there is no, other, there is no salvation. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. Because only the blood of Yeshua can forgive sin. So if there's anybody here that you, you, you're not sure that if you were to die today that you're going to heaven and you wanna give your heart to him, you wanna have your sins forgiven, just put up your hand and I'll pray with you. Anybody, be bold if you need to pray. Anybody, lift up your hand if you need to pray this prayer to give your heart to Yeshua. Anybody? Okay. Hallelujah. So please uh, get, get these books in your heart, in your spirit, uh, and... Uh, Give them to your Jewish friends, uh, this My Jerusalem encounter. Amen, amen. Well, Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, and thank you, Lord, for this passion that you've put in my heart, in the heart of my wife, in the heart of our friends, in the hearts of those with us to bring the gospel to Israel. And Lord, we know that Israel means the Jewish people wherever they live, right here in Plano, around America, in Israel, in the Ukraine, in South Africa, and around the world. And we thank you for this in Yeshua's name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Praise God.